allow me to add my word of welcome to you all as we are wrapping up this series that we've been in on the church, in which we're looking at what does it mean to be the church, not just go to church. And as we think about this final weekend, uh, I wanted to share a little something that has always stuck with me. It's about something I learned when I first started reading the Bible. You see, I wasn't raised in a religious household, so reading the Bible came to me uh, much later in life. It wasn't really until I was a teenager that I picked it up for myself. And one of the things that surprised me about the Bible is just the types of people that we find. Uh, the reason it surprises me is because I couldn't help but wonder why is it that we're actually remembering these people? I mean, if you really stop and think about it, most of the major characters in the Bible were nobodies. I mean, Abraham was a wandering nomad. Uh, Moses was a stuttering murderer. David was the youngest son of a poor shepherding family, and so on and so forth. The Bible is filled with all of these people who by any rights shouldn't be remembered at all. They were just a bunch of nobodies. And in the ancient world, you didn't waste paper writing about nobodies. And yet here we are, centuries later, millennia later, and we still read their stories. Why? I mean, take the book of Acts, this story that we ourselves have been looking at over the past several weeks. And I just want you to notice how this story ends. It, it has been following the earliest followers of Jesus, people like Peter and Philip and Paul. And we get to the end of the book of Acts, and this is what we read. It says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in Rome, in his own rented house, and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The end. That's it. The book of Acts ends in kind of this open-ended way. It basically says, and Paul, who's been doing his ministry this whole time, kept doing his ministry. And that's it. Why? Why is it that the Bible is so focused on these nobodies? Why is it that we get to the end of a book of, of the book of Acts and we end up at a place like this where it's totally open-ended? And I think the reason why is, and the, the reason what Luke is trying to help us understand by ending the book of Acts this way, is what he's basically saying is that the story isn't over and it was never really about Paul in the first place. The story isn't over and it was never really about Paul in the first place. And the same could be said of anybody else in the Bible. Abraham, Moses, David, you name it. It was never really about them. Their story continued. Because at the center of the story wasn't any one of these individuals. At the center of the story is God himself, who in his love has entered our world to rescue people. That's what the whole Bible is about. And by ending the book of Acts in this way, what Luke is saying is he's saying the story continues. The story moves forward. The reason why these people stand out is because they themselves understood that it wasn't about them. They were living for purposes and plans that were far greater than any one of them. And that's why they're remembered today is because their story became a part of the greater story that we are called to tell as God's people. We've been talking about it over these past several weeks, that really to be the church is to be a people who are swept up into a greater story as a part of a larger community with a much greater mission that brings life transformation to everyone. 
And when we live like that, we naturally start to ask the question, what kind of a legacy do I want to leave behind? If this story really isn't about me, how am I then handing it off to those who will continue to move it forward? This weekend, the question that I want us to consider is, what does it mean to leave a greater legacy? And to help us think about how to leave a greater legacy, I really want to break it down into a couple of smaller questions. There are really three that I think we have to focus on. The first question, if we're serious about leaving behind a legacy, is we have to ask ourselves the question, what is our ambition? What's your ambition? British author and journalist Oliver Berkman once wrote this. He said, What will your life have been in the end? but the sum total of everything you spent it focusing on. Let me say that again. What will your life have been in the end, but the sum total of everything you spent it focusing on? Essentially, he says, what determines the outcome of your life is what your aim is, what your ambition is. What is that thing that you are living for that drives everything else that you do? You see, I think that too many of us go through life without actually considering where we want it to end up. Part of the reason that we feel so aimless is because we literally have no aim. We just go through each and every single day just trying to get to the end of it and then hoping that tomorrow will be better. But, but one of the things that we see with Paul and with all the other people that we've been encountering in the book of Acts, all the other people that we read about in the Bible, is that they were considering what their aim was. They had an ambition. I love how Paul actually puts it in his letter to the church in Rome. In Romans 15, verse 20, he says this. He says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Paul's ambition, his aim, his focus in life was that everybody that he encountered would have an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus. That is what drove everything else that he did, is he longed to see lives transformed by the Savior of the world. And the reason that that stirred up so much passion in him is because he knew of the life transformation that happened when he was living that out, when people actually had a chance to hear the good news of Jesus proclaimed to them for the very first time. I mean, just last week, we heard about three stories where the good news of Jesus was so good, it literally turned people's lives upside down, but in the best way possible. We heard the story of Lydia, this incredible businesswoman who was called to a greater purpose and became a leader in the early church. We heard the story of this demon-possessed girl who was called from darkness to light and experienced the kind of freedom that only God could give. We heard the story of the Philippian jailer who was called from failure to faith who in the absolute worst moment of his entire life and his entire career experienced the forgiveness and grace of God and it brought joy, not just to him, but to his entire household. Paul was addicted to seeing that kind of transformation ha happen in people's lives. That's why it was his ambition to preach the good news wherever he went and specifically to preach it to those who hadn't heard it before because he knew that it wasn't for his benefit, it wasn't for his good, it was for theirs. That was his ambition. That's what drove him. And the question that I think we have to ask ourselves is, as we look at our lives, what is our ultimate ambition? At the end of the day, if people only remember one thing about you and me, what is the one thing that we hope that we've passed on to them? 
What's the one gift that we hope that we would be able to leave behind? And, and specifically, I actually want to address the dads in the room for a moment as a fellow father. Here's why I want to talk to you. Honestly, this idea of ambition has really been personally messing with me. There's a book published a couple of years ago called Families and Faith, How Religion is Passed Down Across Generations. And it actually studied 350 families uh, comprising over more than 3,500 individuals over the course of four decades. And in this longitudinal study, what they were looking at is how is it that faith or, or even non-faith is passed on as a value from one generation to another. It was looking at families from many different religious and spiritual backgrounds, even a couple of agnostic and atheist families, and asking how is it that these families were able to pass their values down over the course of four generations. And here's what they found. They found that parents... Parents were single-handedly the most influential factor in whether faith got passed on to their kids or not. More than schools, more than grandparents, more than friends, it was mom and dad who made the greatest difference. But here's the other thing that they found. They found that overwhelmingly, if the father was involved, the likelihood that their children would have the same faith went up exponentially. That's not to say that the roles of moms aren't important. They're incredibly important, but they found something just interesting. It was just one of those surprising data points that when dads got involved in the faith life of their kids, their kids started to thrive and flourish in that same belief system, living it out well into their adulthood, passing it on then to their kids. And honestly, that's been messing with me because dads, I know that sometimes we get to the end of our day, we're just exhausted from the stress and the work and the commute. We come home and all we want to do is just veg out on the couch. But the reality is, is if we're living that way, we are living without the right ambition. Our calling is to invest in the lives of the next generation and to ask ourselves the question, what do I desire for my children? My desire, honestly, as a dad, is that I would pass my faith on to my kids. That they wouldn't just go to church because it was their dad's job, but that they would follow Jesus because they've seen of the joy and the passion that that has brought to my life and then to theirs. I want them to follow Jesus more than anything in the world. And honestly, if, if I go about my life and, and I succeed at being a pastor, but I fail at being a father in terms of passing on the faith that I have for my children, then I've wasted it. I've wasted my opportunity. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what is it that we desire for our children? What is it that we desire for our friends? What is it that we desire for our communities and our neighborhoods? Do we want to see them experience the life-giving joy and transformation that only Jesus can bring? Because if so, then that has to be at the center of absolutely everything that we do. That is worthy of all of our effort and all of our energy. I will be honest, I want to see my kids grow into people who love Jesus and are willing to follow him wherever they go. 
I'll be honest, I don't just want to be a pastor who, who clocks in and clocks out and hopes that the church is just kind of better when I'm done than it was when I started. I want to see a church that gets outside of its four walls, that's in its community where people are encountering Jesus because we ourselves are following him with everything that we have. I want my community to be a place where people don't just drive into their parking, uh, into their garages and close the door, but they're out on the street getting to know each other, that they know each other's stories and that they're walking together in life and that through that some of them would encounter the love of Jesus because we are present there. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to leave behind. That should be our ambition as God's people. It's to say, what's the transformation that we long to see? Not, not what can I get out of my church, but what can I leave behind so that people after me would become a part of the greatest story ever told? So that people after me would experience only the life-giving love that Jesus can bring to experience his forgiveness, his grace, his greater purposes for them. What is your ambition? We have to learn to live a life that, that, that's always focused on the end. That's dedicated to an ambition that's greater than ourselves. And what greater gift can we possibly give people? than the gift of a kingdom which has no end. What greater gift can we possibly give people than the love that knows no limits? What greater gift can we possibly give people than a purpose that is so much greater than what's being offered to them by their careers, by politics, by the messages in our world that say this is what it means to be successful. No, the, this idea of being a part of a greater story is by far the best news we could possibly give. And that's my ambition. That's Jesus' ambition. That was Paul's ambition. That's God's ambition is that people would experience that new life. So that's our first question. What's your ambition? Second question we have to ask ourselves is what are your habits? Because habits reinforce the life that we're living. I remember just very recently coming across this quote in a podcast from Derwin Gray. He's the founding pastor of Transformation Church, and this is what he said about, about habits and the role that they play. He said, you need to realize you never rise to the level of the moment. You only rise to the level of your habits. I'll say that again. You never rise to the level of the moment. You only rise to the level of your habits. He says it's those daily, day in, day out things that we do that actually prepare us most for the moments which matter most. That we can't hope to simply show up and it's game time and we're ready to go. And I love this because Derwin Gray was himself a professional football player before he went on to become a pastor. And he says that is really factored into now how he leads because he realizes as an athlete, his daily training is what helped him to show up fully when game time came. And again, we see the same thing in Paul's own story when he was writing to his young protege, Timothy. I want you to hear specifically what he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, 
Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I love that Paul uses this as this kind of athletic metaphor. He says, you got to be ready. That day of testing is going to come. Those hard moments in life, which could potentially derail you from pursuing your ambition, those things that could potentially get in the way and distract you from pursuing your aim, those things are going to come, but the way you're going to be able to stand is by being disciplined, by focusing on your habits, by being prepared in season and out of season. It says you have to regularly, daily be grounded in the truth. You have to regularly, daily live out your faith before other people. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what are those daily habits that are helping us to live out the calling that God has for our lives? What are those ways in which we are going deep and being rooted in the truth? Those ways in which we are preparing ourselves for opportunities to share with others. I would argue that that some of the basic things that we see in the life of Jesus, his own habits and disciplines can inform that. One of the things that's so interesting is how often Jesus would take time apart just to be with his father, regularly praying to God about what was going on in his life, regularly praying about the mission and what he should be doing next, regularly praying for those that he knew he was called to reach. Likewise, we, knew that we know that Jesus was deep in God's word, that oftentimes when he was challenged or tested, he would quote uh, from the scriptures as a way of helping people understand who he is and why he's here. We knew that he was regularly studying and being saturated by God's word. And the third thing is we knew that he was regularly serving. Everywhere he went, he was healing. Everywhere he went, he was showing love and grace and honor to others. And I would argue that these basic disciplines are important for us because they help us stay focused on that ambition of helping people experience good news. We ourselves have to be drenched in it. Daily spending time in God's word, daily spending time in prayer uh, before him, and daily looking for opportunities to bring good news to others through word and deed. That's it. That's what we're called to do. And so what are our habits? especially as we think about leaving a legacy behind because that's what people focus on. That's what they see. Again, if I just think about my life as a dad, is the only time that my kids see me open the Bible when I get up to preach. Is the only time that they hear me praying when we're together in church. Or does studying God's word, praying together as a family, getting out of our four walls to serve and to introduce people to Jesus, is that just something that we do? Is that who we are? See, habits are important because they help us to keep our eyes fixed on that which is of greatest value, that ultimate ambition and aim that we have. That's how we leave a legacy behind is in the daily habits that we cultivate. And that brings us to our third and final question, and it's simply this, who's next? Who's next? I love that we're talking about Paul. Paul had his Timothy. He was intentionally looking for who he was going to pass the faith on to, who would continue to carry on the story beyond him. 
He was looking for those ways in which he could help cultivate the next generation so that they're growing and living out the story of God. And I think the reason why is because that's what Jesus called us to pray for and to look for. I love when he's walking with his disciples in Matthew chapter 9, he says this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus says there needs to be more who will go. It can't just be me doing it all. Pray to the Lord that he'll send people out into the harvest. And then what's so amazing is the very next thing that happens in Matthew's gospel is Jesus sends out the 12. He says, pray that God raises up the next generation. Then he turns to that next generation and says, now go for it. And he sends them out to minister. And so the question, when we're asking who's next, is really a deeper question of saying, am I helping the church to outlive me? Am I helping the church to outlive me by investing in the lives of those behind me so that they can carry the mission beyond me? And that's the question that I think every Christian has to ask themselves is, is are we helping our church outlive us by investing in the lives of those behind us so that they can carry out the mission beyond us? Because that's really what the story is all about. It's not about us. It's about God and what the work that he's continuing to do in our world. And he says we should be praying for, looking for, raising up, deploying, and sending out more. More people into the harvest field. He says pray that God would raise them up, but then you send them. You go. And, and that's, that, that really is at the heart of God. Why? Because God wants more people to hear the good news. And so he wants more people sent out as ambassadors of that good news. Think about it for a second. We are all here because somebody else showed us what it meant to follow Jesus. Every single Christ follower is only a Christ follower because some other Christian ahead of them turned around and, sh and showed not only an interest in them, but invested in them and helped them to grow. They didn't, we're not here because everybody was just kind of waiting around for somebody else to do it. We're here because they saw an opportunity to develop us. See, being a Christian isn't just about doing the ministry all ourselves until we just drop dead. Nor is it about sitting on the sidelines waiting for other people to get a clue and jump in. No, it's about saying, who can I invest in now? Who's next? Who am I saying, follow me as I follow Jesus? That's exactly what Paul called Timothy to. And it's what we're called to do as well. To simply say, to look around us and say, who can I invite to do this with me? Who can I invite to step into the harvest field with me that I can pour into so that when my time comes for me to go and to be with Jesus, I know that I've passed on the mission to the next generation. I've prayed for them, I've loved them, I've encouraged them, I've trained them, I've empowered them, and I've sent them out. That's what it means to leave a legacy behind as we are intentionally invested in someone else. 
Christians are not people who just show up for an hour on Sunday morning wondering what they can get out of that experience, only to walk away and just go about the lives as normal. No, we are a people who desperately desire to live out the calling that God has for our lives 24-7, but then to pass that on to someone else. And the reason why is because that's what others did for us. That's what Jesus himself did. He entered into this world in order to rescue us, but then more than rescuing us, he then calls us to join him in the work that he's doing so that when the day comes that he ascends into uh, heaven once more and takes his seat at the right hand of the Father, he first says, now you go. Just as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and all Samaria. You are to go and make disciples of all nations, to teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you, to pass it on so that more people experience the grace, the love, the forgiveness that we ourselves have tasted and have seen is so good. That's why our mission as a church is to help people look, live, and love more like Jesus is because we've tasted and seen just how good his grace is. And we desperately desire to ensure that that continues to be passed on. So who's next? Who are the one or two people that you're going to spend your time investing in and saying, let's walk together in this journey of following Jesus. Let me teach you what I've learned so that you can then turn around and pass it on to someone else. Because when we do, the story moves forward. The church continues to grow. More people hear the good news of Jesus as it's proclaimed through us, the ones that he has called and the ones that he has sent. And so to that end, I want to invite you to pray with me. Would you pray? Lord God, we give you thanks that you didn't just come into the world to save us, but then you called us. You called us to join you in your mission of helping people to look, live, and love more like you. We're all here only because someone else passed that good news on to us. And our prayer is that we would become people who pass that good news on to others so that we leave a legacy behind. So the story isn't just about us. So the story isn't just about Trinity, but the story continues to be about you and the rescuing work you desire to do in the world. And so help us to go out with that story. Help us to have eyes to see those that you're sending us to do, and help us to be a people who desperately long to leave a legacy behind so that our church outlasts us, so that the story continues to move forward into more people's lives. Lord, we pray this not for our glory, but for yours, not for our benefit, but for theirs. So that ultimately, Lord, until the day that you come again, all we would see is your people sent out one generation after another with good news so that more people might hear until the day when you come and make all things new. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray. Amen.